This is Rob Goldstone, editor of Current Directions in Psychological Science. Our guest today is Dr. Mohsen Moisla, a lecturer at the University of Exeter Business School, a fellow at the Alan Turing Institute, and a research affiliate at MIT Sloan School of Management. He is the author of the recently published article, Field Experiments on Social Media. Thank you very much for being here, Mosin. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. So in your article, you point out that most current research on social media is inherently correlational by design, which strictly limits a researcher's ability to make causal claims, of course. And you advocate instead, or perhaps in addition, conducting actual experiments, what you call field experiments, on social media platforms where the experimenter actually intervenes on the platform. If the researcher doesn't work at Facebook or Twitter, how does that actually work? Sure. So many platforms such as Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube provide API or application programming interface that enhances programmatically interacting with other users at scale. So this can be utilized to roll out large scale experiment to deliver interventions to a large number of users through the API. You can also use the API to collect public information from users to study their behavior on social media and measure how their behavior changes as a result of our intervention. In fact, companies' goals and academic research goals may not always be aligned. So there are occasions where it is important to maintain some independence from platform owners, since platform owners may have different incentive structures and may not be willing to be involved in or support some experiments that are not aligned with your goals. But in fact, such experiments could have significant scientific values. So having the access to tools like the API uh, to interact with the users enables us as a researcher to roll out these experiments on our, on our own without depending on platform owners. You have effectively laid out the, the promise and potential for field experiments. I'd like to now dive into some of the actual results from these field experiments. There's a good deal of evidence about the relationship between political partisanship and the structure of social networks, and in particular, the existence of echo chambers, where people who share similar views are more likely to be connected to each other in a social network. What new contribution do field studies make to, to that body of work? Sure, I agree. Um, there is a great deal of study about the relationship between partisanship and the structure of social network, things related to echo chambers that has been around for a while. But one body of work within this domain uses survey experiments to study to what extent people are, are willing to establish social connections with co-partisan versus counterpartisan in hypothetical control environments. But the issue here is lack of ecological validity of the finding. That is whether the results from the uh, you know, controlled hypothetical environment also holds in real world settings. Another body of work takes observational approach 
and studies the relationship between users and their uh, partisanship in real world settings on social media. But partisanship could be confounded by many other factors, things like demographics or geographical location, which could also affect the probability of preferential social tie formation between the users. So from this line of work, it's not clear to what extent partisanship per se drives formation of social ties. So what we did was we created a set of human looking body accounts on Twitter that share similar features, except they vary in their partisanship in terms of content they share and political party they support, as mentioned in the bios. We use this setup in order to tease out the effect of shared partisanship on preferential social tie formation. So everything's the same among our human looking body accounts. The only difference between them is the, uh, the fact that their political identity is different. We used our accounts to follow more than 800 Twitter users with equal numbers from Democratic and Republican parties. We estimate users' partisanship based on their digital fingerprints. We found partisanship per se has a significant large effect on social tie formation. Subjects in our experiment were almost three times more likely to follow back co-partisan accounts compared to counter-partisan accounts. We also did not find any evidence for asymmetry that both, uh, that is, both Democrats and Republicans follow back core partisan at similar rate comparing to uh, following back counterparts. So this field experiment provides a clear causal evidence uh, of formation of social tie purely driven by uh, shared partisanship. You described another line of experiments on what happens to people when they are asked within an online experiment to deactivate their social media accounts. Um, so what were the results from that? I guess concretely, will our listeners likely be happier if they get off of Facebook? <laughs> that, that's a great question. Um, and that's exactly uh, one of the findings of this study. So this in this work, the researchers conducted a randomized experiment where they asked users to deactivate their Facebook accounts for four weeks prior to the 2018 US midterm election, and then used surveys to measure effect on various attitudes. They found that this intervention reduced online activity while increasing offline activities such as watching TV alone and socializing with family and friends. They also found that it reduced both factual news knowledge and political polarization. They found that this uh, deactivating Facebook accounts for four weeks in the, uh, increased subject well-being. And also after the experiment was over, people largely used less Facebook moving forward. You conducted an experiment in which Twitter users were automatically identified who shared news articles containing known misinformation uh, that had already been debunked. Uh, when they did this, you sent them replies with correcting information. Uh, so how did that work to change the online behavior of people who originally shared the misinformation? Sure, so in this experiment, we identified around 2,000 
Twitter users who shared articles rated as false by the fact-checking website Snopes. We used a set of human-looking bot accounts to correct users by directly replying to the tweets containing false content and mentioning the uh, fact-checking article. So the, our bot comes into play, find a person who shared this false content, reply to their tweet saying like, hey, the article you just shared is false, and here's why, by sharing the link to the uh, fact-checking article. We then observed the user behavior within 24 hours after being corrected. What we found was surprising. That is, we found that after being publicly and directly corrected, users shared more low quality, hyperpartisan, and toxic content. We observed this effect mainly in the retweets, but not primary tweets. This suggests that the effect is operating through the channel of attention, which is particularly constrained when making typically fast retweet decisions, rather than by modifying one's actual preferences, which is likely um, to be more strongly reflected by primary tweets composed by the users themselves. Instead of focusing attention on accuracy, it seems that being publicly corrected by another user directs attention away from accuracy, perhaps towards other various social factors at play, things like you know, users being defensive or feeling embarrassed in, in, in such a fundamental social interaction. Great. Okay, that's definitely useful information um, for our listeners who uh, may want to check their impulse to automatically correct uh, the copious amount of misinformation that they're finding on the web. Uh, you reported yet another experiment on priming people to think about the accuracy of an information source before they decided whether to pass it along to their social network. What happened in that experiment and, and what did you find as a result? Sure. So similar to the prior experiment I just talked about in terms of like running this kind of field experiment, now we wanted to uh, study another intervention. So instead of like uh, directly publicly correcting people who just shared false content, we wanted to uh, you know, do a subtle accuracy nudge, remind them of the concept of accuracy and see how that would affect their behavior in terms of the content they shared. So we identified more than 5,000 Twitter users who shared low quality content. In particular, those who retweeted content from hyperpartisan low quality website Brightboard. As our intervention, we sent the users a direct message asking them to rate the accuracy of a single non-political item. The goal here is to remind users of the concept of accuracy. So when they go back to their newsfeed, they think about accuracy before they make the sharing decision. As you might guess, almost no one replied to our accuracy, uh, to you know, this direct message coming out of the blue, but it's not an issue because as soon as they see the message, they are technically treated in that the console accuracy is activated in their mind. So when they go back to their news feed, they think about accuracy be before they make the sharing decision. We then pull uh, information from their news feed before after receiving the message and quantify the quality of content using a list of domains rated by a group of uh, professional fact checkers, and then examine the effect of our intervention in terms of a subtle accuracy nudge 
on the quality of content people shared on the platform. We found our subtle accuracy nudge significantly improved the quality of content the users shared in our sample. After receiving the message, users were more likely to share content from high quality mainstream news outlets and less likely to share content from hyperpartisan, low quality news websites as rated by professional fact checkers. Unlike the public direct correction that I just talked about, the subtle direct messages shifted users' attention toward accuracy and increased their discernment in their subsequent sharing decisions. So, okay, the, the feeling I'm getting is that oftentimes nudges and more subtle implicit kinds of influences on people's sharing might be more effective than just telling people dead straight that they're wrong. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, don't, I think that the main takeaway is not a good idea to just go out and start yelling at anyone who's just sharing like misinformation on the platform. Exactly. So a few years ago, there was a, a big brouhaha in which Facebook researchers were charged with manipulating Facebook users' emotions by reordering their newsfeed. Since then, there has been considerable concern about researchers manipulating people online. And this naturally comes up in the context of conducting field experiments, such as the ones you're advocating, uh, where randomly controlled interventions are a crucial part of the research design. So can I ask you to comment on the ethical cons considerations for conducting these kinds of field experiments in terms of privacy, informed consent, um, as well as the manipulations themselves? Sure. I mean, like field experiment, like many other field, uh, many other studies that involve human, uh, human subjects, needs to take serious ethical consideration. And you know, of now when we are rolling out this kind of intervention in real world settings, social media, we should be very concerned as researchers. Uh, something that we need to evaluate is so it's a very important step before conducting any uh, field study on social media to evaluate the potential consequences to the users. We as a researcher need to make sure our intervention are ethically sound and do not pose any risk to the users themselves. Additionally, we need to uh, make sure that users' information containing personal identifiers are protected. So we need to follow uh, very carefully the ethical standards and protocols in terms of like do not exposing the information that contains personal identifiers, only report information that are anonymized. And uh, with regard to the informed consent, I think there is an ethical challenge here is that on one end, letting people know that they are in part of an experiment can kind of like affect the ecological validity because as soon as they know they're in an experiment, they might behave differently. But then on the other hand, we wanted to evaluate the potential risk in any aspects of rolling out this experiment if we don't want it to seek out a, to seek a informed consent from the users. Right, great. Um, as you know, your article appears as part of a special issue of current directions in psychological science on well-measured lives, uh, how all of our lives are being measured more often, 
with the results being broadcast more widely than ever before. So I'm wondering in this context, how you feel about the trend overall for our lives to be increasingly driven by measurements and being recorded by metrics, such as the ones that you take on the social media platforms. So is this metricization of society, is it good? Is it bad? Uh, neutral? Does it depend? Uh, what should we be keeping in mind going forward as a community? Sure. I mean, I, I believe having metrics and for me being from engineering background, like being able to quantify things is very essential to be able to study and potentially improve it. And it includes human behavior as well. So in just in a set of experiments I just talked about, we needed to quantify you know, people's behavior and measure it, studying, and try to improve it. And this is the basis for research that takes quantitative and computational approaches to study human behavior in general. However, I think as researchers, we do need to be mindful about what we are measuring and how that would affect people's privacy and make it uh, and make sure it's ethical and invalid any probable consequences it might have on people's lives. Great. So that's all the time we have for our conversation with Dr. Mosin Mosla. Thank you very much, Mosin, for the stimulating conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I